yes, if you're wondering, we did get new windows. If you, if you have been here before and didn't notice, that is amazing if you could notice. Uh, somebody asked me if we painted the walls. We did not paint the walls. The walls are always that color. Uh, we just got new windows in here because we want to be in the light and not in the darkness. So uh, there's my cheesy plug for pastor's jokes. Uh, I do have another announcement to uh, give to you. There's a brand new father just this week to our church. Uh, John Michael and Marissa had their baby uh, this last week. Yeah, Jocelyn. Jocelyn was born this week, so I know that they are excited to have young little baby Jocelyn. Uh, and uh, so if you see them or can text them or email them and let them know, congratulations. I wanted to let the church family know that. And then, of course, to all of you fathers out there, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, and Yeah, okay, we can do that. Got some ladies clapping for that. Yes, you guys, dads have a huge responsibility uh, that God has given to you. And uh, we just want to honor you guys today. You guys get to, it's your day. You get one day out of the whole year, uh, just like the, the, the mothers. I'm just kidding. Every day is Father's Day and Mother's Day, children. Okay, I want you to know that. All right, you're like, when's my day? Your day's every day also, okay? You just think it's every day. The rest of us don't, but anyway. No, happy Father's Day to you. And my, my simple charge to you fathers is this, is give your children Jesus. More than anything else, give them Jesus. That's what, they don't know often that that's what they need, but that's what they need. They need to know who Jesus is, and you are the instrument God has placed in their lives to be the priority to tell them who Jesus is. And so uh, think about that, pray about that, pray for your children, continue to model Christ's likeness to them uh, throughout the year, each and every day, one day at a time. Um, and continue just to give them Jesus, model to them what it is like to be a godly father in the home. And you've got a church family around you that wants to support you in that and wants to help you in that. And if we can do anything, anything to help you accomplish those things, we, we are here for you and want to walk side by side with you uh, to make that happen. What I want you to do now is uh, open up your Bibles to Second Peter. Second Peter, uh, we are at the end of chapter 1, and for uh, our fathers, uh, this is a, going to be a more, uh, uh, we, we, want, we like challenges, so this morning we're going to talk about the doctrine of inspiration. Okay, nobody get up and leave. Okay, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. This is our challenge for you guys this morning and for you ladies as well, uh, to talk through the doctrine of inspiration. So what I'm going to do is read Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 16 down to 21. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this very, very important section of Scripture, verses 20 and 21 together. This is what it says, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow, cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this, First of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this so important section of Scripture to us, telling us who wrote the Bible and who wrote it was you. These are your words. Lord, bring understanding to our minds and our hearts this morning. Be our teacher and our guide as we submit to your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who read, and if you're a member of our church, and you probably read in our statement of faith, the section that we have on scripture. If you haven't read it, let me just read to you what it says, as this kind of lays the foundation to what we believe about the Bible. It says this, we believe the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments to be the full record of God's self-disclosure to mankind. Different men, while writing according to their own styles and personalities or supernaturally, moved along by the Holy Spirit to record God's very words, inerrant in the original writings. Therefore, those applying themselves to the study, its literal, historical, grammatical context can accurately understand God's word. Scripture is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. We believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of scriptures and that they contain all the words of God that we need in order to completely trust and obey him. The scriptures are inerrant in their original writings, are infallible in their instruction, eternal in duration, the final authority and standard for faith and practice, sufficient for counsel in every issue of life. We believe that the very words of Scripture in the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic are inspired by God. Therefore, we believe that the Bible versions which translate God's Word most literally into modern English should be preferred. And again, that kind of lays the foundation for what we believe about the Bible. And, and if you caught some of the, the verses that are in there, one of the main ones here is in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, because it tells us who wrote the Bible who it is that wrote the Bible. And if we believe that God wrote the Bible, which we do, then we know that the Bible is infallible, that it cannot lead you astray, that it is inerrant, that there are no errors within the Bible on any of its pages. It is sufficient, as we talked about, as it says here in 2 Peter 1.3, it is sufficient to all things pertaining to life and godliness. We believe that it's the final authority that trumps any other authority. It is eternal, meaning that it will last forever and into eternity. It is clear. The message of salvation can be understood by a five-year-old, and it still boggles the mind of a 95-year-old. But yet it is clear. It is also necessary. We cannot know God's saving grace apart from the Word of God. And as we talked about last week, the Bible is reliable. It is certain. It is trustworthy. You can place your soul on it and what it has to say. And in this text here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter teaches us that his message is reliable, not because it comes from him, but because of who the message is from. The Bible is reliable, the Bible is certain, the Bible is trustworthy, because of who wrote the Bible. 
It was not written by man. If it was written by man, if mankind came up, came up with it, we couldn't certainly place our trust in it. It would not be reliable. It would not be certain. But because the Bible was written by God, it is the most trustworthy book that we have. In talking about then, and I mentioned this at the top, in talking about what that means, who wrote the Bible, it's a doctrine called the doctrine of inspiration or the teaching on the inspiration of Scripture. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21 is talking about, who wrote it. Now, I want to say this. It might be a little bit more technical this morning. It might be more of a, a lecture style this morning, but, but this is foundational for how you interpret the Bible. You get to the meaning of the text, and it's foundational then to get to the application of the text. So this is, you could say, very foundational in our understanding for us to know other parts of the Bible. We have to start with this. Who wrote the Bible? Now remember, from last week, if I could jog your memory and go back to last week, we talked about two reasons for the certainty of the Bible. And the first thing we said was this, is that the Bible is certain because of the eyewitnesses of the apostles. It says there in verse 16 that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter starts out by giving a defense in verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He, he defends that he was not get, making up these stories. He was not making up myths. He was not telling stories, but he was there when Jesus taught the very words that he said. He was with him when he did the miracles. He was with him, as it says here, on the holy mountain, meaning he was at the transfiguration. Okay, this is all coming back to mind now as we talked about it last week. He was there with him. He was an eyewitness to all of that. But then he says in verse 19 that we have an even more prophetic word that is even more sure or more fully confirmed, even though he had this incredible experience with God, even though he, he was there with God, that experience does not trump Holy Scripture. It lines up underneath the Word of God. And we know that the Bible is certain because those who wrote it were eyewitnesses, at least in the New Testament, were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And now we get to the second one of the certainty of Scripture is this, and that is the inspired Word of God. The inspired Word of God. We can be certain that the Bible is true because of who wrote it. Because of who wrote it. Notice what it says there in, in verse 20. It says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes down to someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It says there, prophecy, then Scripture, and then it goes back to prophecy. It's almost like he's using these words even interchangeably here to talk about the whole counsel of God. Prophecy from the Old Testament... Scripture, which uh, the word here uh, is graphe, which, which has the idea of, of writing down everything that was, that was written down. Uh, the prophetic word here is talking about the, the Old Testament prophecy, and, and, and Peter is, is using these words interchangeably for us to understand that, that all of Scripture or the totality of Scripture was written by God. There's not a single part of the Bible 
that was devised by man, that came up by man, where he wrote it down saying, oh, I'll take it from here, God. I'll go ahead and write out this letter myself. Thank you very much. No, all of it, every word was inspired by God. Now, there's another verse that we have to look at. It's in 2 Timothy. So turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, this is one of those, those, those key passages that you have underlined in your Bible. This is the one that when you open up to 2 Timothy, 3.16 just, just jumps off the page. And here's why. Look what it says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may com be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is, and maybe your Bible even says, inspired. Maybe your translation says inspired. It means God breathed, which means this, that we believe in the full, or as theologians would say, the plenary, which I don't know why they say that, they could have just said full, or all, all of the Bible is inspired by God. You say, what does that word inspired mean? God breathed. That's literally what the translation of the, of the word means. It means that it's God breathed. But when we hear inspired, when we, when we hear inspired, what, what are some things you think of when you think of somebody that's inspired? You think of a, a, of a, a uh, a guy that's giving this beautiful song and the orchestra's playing and it, and it gives you goosebumps on your back. You go, man, that, that was inspired. That was so inspiring. Or, or you watch a, a race and the, the, the runner is running down the track and you're like, man, he ran an inspired race. Or, 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 or there's, a, there's a song that you feel like is, is inspired. That's usually what we think of when, when we think of, of someone that's been inspired, the interesting thing is this, that when it comes to this word, God breathed, inspired, which is the, the original word here used in the Greek, it is only reserved for the word of God. Nobody else, nothing else was inspired according to the Bible. That's because only the word of God is inspired. Only the word of God is God breathed, and, and God breathed, and as our, as our text says, and we'll get to it, it says that, that as he breathed, that, that the Holy Spirit would come along and, and, and move these writers to write out the very words that God would want them to, to, to write out, the, the exact words of God. Meaning this, there are no songs that were inspired by God. No musician has ever written a song that was inspired by God. They may tell you that, oh man, I was just inspired by God to write this. They either don't know what they're saying or they do know what they're saying and they're just lying because nothing other than the word of God has been inspired, which also means this, and I hate to disappoint you, but no sermon has ever been inspired by God. <laughs> I know, I don't want to disappoint you guys, but that's the reality. I don't stand up here and the very words that are coming out of my mouth are God breathed into me to speak to you. Nobody has ever done that. When I stand here and I read scripture, 
then yes, God is speaking, and these are the very words of God, but to say that a sermon was inspired is just not true. No sermon has been inspired. No, no song has been inspired by God, the very words of God. You say, well, what has been? Well, only the word of God has been inspired. Now, we need to make this technical understanding as well. This is worth writing down because you need to chew on this. The writers were not inspired to write the Bible. The writers were not inspired. The writers were not God-breathed. Only the original documents were God-breathed. That's the difference because our understanding of inspired is that somebody came and, and spoke through them, right? We, that, that's what I'm saying is that an inspired athlete, an inspired song, that something within them drove them to do that where the Bible reserves only inspired for the original documents. Only the original documents are inspired by God. God breathed out. Paul would have written, written potentially other letters. Peter would have potentially written other, written other letters. Philip wrote a letter. Enoch wrote a letter. Not all the letters that they ever written were inspired texts. Only certain ones were that came together and, and what we have as, as the full canon of Scripture. But only the original documents are inspired. God breathed. So let me give you a definition then. With that in mind, let me give you a definition for inspiration of Scripture. The help of, of uh, Charles Ryrie, he says this, God's superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs his revelation to man. Using human authors, God breathed the very words out that they would write down for us to have the very words of God. You say, how do we do that? Well, that's what, that's what our verse tells us is how, how that happened. But let me just say this. What that means is this. Understanding that these are the inspired words of God is this. This means that to read the words of the Bible is to read the words of God. To pay attention to the Bible is to pay attention to God. To obey the Bible is to obey God. To speak the Bible is to speak the words of God. God gave them through inspiration, which resulted in the 66 books of the Bible, which also means this, to disobey Scripture is to disobey God. To not to pay attention to Scripture is to not to pay attention to God. Because these are His very words. These are exactly what He wanted us to know. And as it says in verse 3 of chapter 1, that it, His divine power is granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us. This is all we need to know. This is the only revelation we need to know. We, don't need, we cannot add to it. We cannot take away from it. To say that, that we can add to Scripture is to say that we don't have enough. To say that there's new revelation means the one that we have isn't enough and isn't sufficient. 
So we have to go out and find new revelation and new revelation and new revelation. That is to undermine the sufficiency of Scripture. Let me say it this way. Let me give you four things that inspiration is not. Now we're really getting the backhoe and starting to dig in. Okay? Here's what it's not. It's not natural inspiration. Okay? The Bible was not written by men who were super, super smart. The Bible is not written by genius men who, who decided to come up with the Bible. This is a view of inspiration that elevates the, the writers while denying who the real author is. Saying God didn't write the Bible. Men of genius, real men of genius wrote the Bible. To which I say this, this high level of genius men, would they really write a Bible that calls out the sins of men? Would they really write a Bible that that sends hypocrites to hell? Would they really write a Bible that that says it's harder to get into heaven than it is to get into hell? Would they really write a Bible that says that your heart is evil, that you don't seek after good, that no one is good, not even one? Would real men of genius do that? Is that the kind of Bible they would write? No, if man wrote a Bible, sin would be tolerated. Everyone gets to go into heaven. Look, we're, people are trying to rewrite the Bible even now. This isn't natural inspiration. This is divine inspiration. Listen to this. The Bible here is a library of 66 different books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. 1,500 years. The writers of the Bible consisted of kings, priests, physicians, fishermen, shepherds, a butler, a tax collector, a theologian, a soldier, a statesman, a murderer, an adulterer, a man who was swallowed by a fish, a man who Jesus calls Satan, and on and on and on it goes. All different people, all different eras, centuries apart at times, all writing, listen, with the same authority, with the same clarity, never once contradicting each other, all in unity. It's a history book, it's a science book, it's an archaeology book, it's an astronomy book. It talks about the rise and falls of kingdoms, countries, cities. It's a book with war, rebellion, hatred, love, forgiveness, betrayal, prophecy, prediction, and a God who saves by grace alone. All the books of the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, were quoted or referenced in the New Testament. Get this, Jesus quoted or made reference to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, 1 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Zechariah, and Malachi. If you didn't get any of those, just guess. You might get it right. Not even the brightest genius in the world or collection of geniuses in the world could ever write a book like the Bible. No man could do that. No man has the imagination or the creativity or the intelligence to ever come up with a book like the Bible. In no way is it natural inspiration. Secondly is this, it's not conceptual inspiration. 
Those who believe in conceptual inspiration have this theory that God gave the writers a thought. Let me just give you the thought. Here's redemption. Now go. Here's love. 1 Corinthians 13. Go. Paul, take it away. Here's the thought. Here's the idea. Family, Paul, you got this in Ephesians 5? Go. Take it away. And he gives this idea to you or this thought to them. And they took that theme and then they wrote out what they wanted to say. Called conceptual inspiration. No, we believe this, that the words of God are inspired. Verbal inspiration. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.13, write that verse down. My words will never pass away. Not my thoughts, not my concepts, not my ideas that I'm kind of tossing at you writers to do, but my words will never pass away. So we believe this, that, 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 that the, the writers didn't just receive a concept from God or a thought from God, an idea from God. We believe that the very words that were written down were inspired by God. The words themselves are inspired. Deuteronomy 18, 18, Psalm 19, 160, Zechariah 7, 12, Matthew 4, 4, 7, and 10. The precise verb tense is inspired. Matthew 22, 21, and 32. And then this, in Matthew 5, 17, and 18, the smallest part of the Hebrew letter was inspired. The smallest part of the Hebrew letter was inspired. You guys know what it says there? It says that not even a jot or tittle will pass away. says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You say, what is that? It's basically this, as the writers would pen out in, in, in Hebrew, they'd write out in Hebrew every single letter of it. The jot would be like an apostrophe. Just the apostrophe. All the way down to just the slightest stroke of the pen. Inspired by God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fascinating? Third is this. What's not inspiration is this, is existential inspiration, which is basically the idea that the words of the Bible become inspired as the reader interacts with them. Basically, the idea is this, is that only the truth that edifies is the truth. Only the truth that edifies is the truth. So some theologians would say that... that <laughs> If you get goosebumps when you read it and you got some out-of-body experience with it, well, then, yeah, those are the words of God. As you interact with the text, you basically decide what's inspired and what's not inspired based on what you like and don't like, based on what moves you and what doesn't move you, doesn't move you. And what that does then is that makes the interpreter of Scripture the authority of Scripture. That makes the reader the one who gets to decide which one has the authority and which part doesn't have the authority, and I'll just pick and choose, and if I like it, then I'll say, yeah, that was from God. And if I don't like it, I'll say, yeah, that, that part actually isn't from God. It didn't really move me. That's not my truth, so it's not anybody's truth. Certainly not from God. Again, just trying to undermine the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. And then last is this, number four, is mechanical dictation inspiration. Mechanical 
dictation inspiration, meaning this, that the authors of the Bible were kind of like robots. They just kind of sat there, and while they dipped their, their leather or their, their feather pen into the, the inkwell, and all of a sudden they had this kind of out of body, and then they just started writing, and they didn't even know what they were doing. Just kind of robotically just writing out Scripture. And then they just kind of came to and like, whoa, is this amazing letter I just wrote? This is phenomenal. It's almost like it was from God. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't an out-of-body experience. There is personality in each of the writings. They're a little bit different. The way Peter writes is a little bit different than Paul writes. is a little bit different than the way Luke writes. Why? Because they were able to maintain their personality while they wrote. God didn't just, just take them and, and make them write these words down. That's not how it went. You say, well, then how did the Bible come together? <laughs> yes, that's the question. How did the Bible come together? Look at verse 20 and 21. Knowing that, first of all, of utmost importance, this is what you need to know, that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, no prophecy was ever what? Produced by the will of man, but here it is, men spoke from God as what? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does it say? It says of first importance. This is what we need to get this right. We need to understand this. We cannot miss out on this very important thing that, that nothing that was written down, no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. That, that word there for own, it has the idea, idea of being private. It has the idea of self. It, this isn't a, a, a private interpretation of the writer that he is now disclosing to the world. It's not his own. In fact, this mark here of somebody having their, their own interpretation, listen to this, their own private interpretation that says, I got something from God that somebody else didn't get. That is a mark of a false teacher. To teach his own thing. I know you won't find this anywhere else, and I know nobody else says this, but, but let me tell you what God said. That is a mark of a false teacher. No prophecy of Scripture came from someone's private interpretation. This isn't their own thing. It, it didn't spring forth from, from private reasoning. The idea here is that men did not bring forth scriptures of their own idea. The writers of scripture did not put their own construction upon the God-breathed words they wrote. No prophet here, no writer here was a self-starter. As it were, in regarding to the writing of God's word, no one starts a prophecy by himself. John Calvin says it like this, he says, they did not blab their inventions of their own accord or according to their own judgments. In fact, we could even say this, that even when they wrote down Scripture, some of them didn't even know that they were writing the Bible. They didn't even know that this would be the Word of God. 
They wrote it down and they didn't even fully understand what they were writing. In fact, Peter talked about this in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talked about this very thing in verse 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time of the Spirit of Christ was in them, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the glory of Christ would be the subsequent glories. What is he saying? He's saying that they didn't even understand all the things that they were writing and predicting. They were writing down that, hey, there's going to be a Messiah coming. They didn't even, know what they, they didn't even fully understand what that meant. This wasn't their own interpretation. This wasn't their own private understanding of God's word. No, they were, as it says, what? Moved along, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God. Two negatives, no prophecy. Verse 21, no prophecy. Understand that first. This doesn't come and originate from man. But what? Verse 21, it was what? Produced by never produced by the will of human, but men spoke from God as what? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word there, carried along or moved along, it has the idea of a ship carried along by the wind. They were continually carried along or they were, they were moved along. It's in the passive voice, which conveys this. Intense is important because God wrote it in that tense. They were moved along, not by their own power, but by an external source, in this case, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would direct them as they would write out the God-breathed words. As they would pen them along, the, the Holy Spirit would, would allow them to write out accurately everything that God would want them to say onto Holy Scripture. John Piper says this, he says this, yes, men spoke. They spoke with their own language and style. But Peter mentions two other dimensions of their speaking. First, they spoke from God. What they have to say is not merely from their own limited perspective. They are not the origin of truth they speak. They are not the channel. The truth is God's truth. Their meaning is God's meaning. Secondly, not only is what they spoke from God, but now they spoke. It is, it, is in, it is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God did not simply reveal the truth to the writers of Scripture and then depart and hope that they might communicate it accurately. Peter says that in the very communicating of it, they were carried by the Holy Spirit. The making of the Bible was not left to merely human skills of communication, the Holy Spirit himself carried the process to completion. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Do not elevate Scripture above the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that? You guys believe in the Bible, but not the Holy Spirit. That is a false dichotomy. It's not even true. Because this is the words of the Holy Spirit. You can't say, oh, you believe in the Bible, but not the Holy Spirit. No, you got it all wrong, my friend. This is the Holy Spirit, His words, and, you, and once you separate the Holy Spirit, you no longer have the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us, who is our teacher? 
to understand this book? The Holy Spirit. So you can't separate the Holy Spirit from, from the Bible. To elevate Scripture and God are one in the same act of worship. You can't separate the Holy Spirit from the Bible. Is the Holy Spirit who carried the men along to write the Bible and is the Holy Spirit who is the teacher of the Bible. So the verse teaches us two things then. The will of the human authors never directed the writings of the Bible and the Holy Spirit is the ultimate source, ensured the accuracy of what they wrote in every way. What they wrote in every way. All right, now let's all pull up and take a deep breath. And how are we going to apply this? Turn to Colossians 3, because this is how we're going to apply this. Colossians 3. Verse 18. Here's my Father's Day message, guys. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters by way of eye service as pleasing the Lord, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not unto men knowing that the Lord will receive the inheritance. You are not serving the Lord, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the due that he is wrong. There is no partiality. You say, where does that come from? How do I do all of those things? Well, you've got to look back at verse 16. This is how you can accomplish those things, wives, husband, and children. Look back at verse 16. How is this possible? What does it say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to be a good father? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to be a good hus- husband? You want to be a good wife? Children, you want to obey your parents? This is how you do that. This is how it happens. You allow the word of Christ to dwell richly within your heart. This is where it all starts. Verse 16, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is our response to understanding that this is the word of God? We allow it to dwell richly in our hearts. Joshua said this in, 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 chapter, in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, Do not let this book of the law, what? Depart from your mouths. Do what? Meditate on it day and night. 
Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15, 14, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. What do we do? We understand these are now the very words of God. Every single word in here comes from God, written out, God breathed by him. What does the Bible call us to do? To enjoy the word of God, to eat the word of God, to savor the word of God, to meditate on the word of God, to allow, allow it to dwell richly within our hearts. Why? So that you can be the brightest light that you could possibly be, so you could be a witness for the gospel, so you can be that father you want to be, that husband you want to be, that wife you want to be, that mother you want to be. All of it is dependent upon the amount you let the word of God dwell in your heart. Charles Spurgeon said this, pithy quote, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The Bible is more than a book. It's God breathed and God's revelation of himself. It took shape in the form of words on paper. His word is a window into who he is. It's a mirror to see our own heart. It shows us the truth about who we are, why we need him, and how to have a relationship with him. The Bible is a lamp for our feet and the light of truth for our souls. The Bible is a refuge for the weak, a counselor for the hopeless, a teacher for the learner. The Bible is filled with answers to life's greatest questions, and it reveals to us where true joy and satisfaction come from without the scriptures even the most intelligent, most creative, most powerful, most inquisitive will never know a way into a relationship with their creator. But most of all, church, the Bible reveals to us who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah, full of grace and truth, who died on the cross for your sins and offers salvation to all who would believe in him. This is no ordinary book. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Word of God and all that it is. And sometimes we come to the Word of God and it just pierces us. And sometimes we come to the Word of God and it comforts us. And all of it, Lord, we know this to be true. No man could come up with this. These are the divine words of our Creator. And it points us to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And we're so thankful that you've given to us this book. Lord, I pray that today we'd be motivated even more so, to want to jump in and study it, to want to meditate on it, to enjoy it, to allow it to richly dwell within our hearts so that it would transform us and it would allow us to live holy lives. Lord, I do thank you for, for all the fathers out here and it's Father's Day and we want to give give honor to them today that 
I do pray for them specifically in regards to the word of God. That they'd have a newfound love for what it says. That they would wake up desiring the truths that are in it and then speak those words to their children and to those around them. Encourage them today by your word. Lord, I understand this, that there's days where we don't desire the word of God. There's maybe even weeks where we don't desire the word of God. Allow today to be a fresh start, a new beginning. Because these words were spoken by you, given to us for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.